thing I mentioned an update last week in regards to a building, right? And we were working through it and it was, as I said last week, there's lots of moving parts, right? Those moving parts kept moving without us, it turns out. <laughs> no, really it just came down to logistics, costs, a lot of things came together and it was like, for whatever reason, as excited as we were in the moment, as a leadership team, as a group of elders, we have four, four of us on the, on the team for this church, and we sat down and all of us collectively did not have a piece about the situation that was there. As beautiful as it looked, as perfect as it may seem, and can I tell you the only exciting thing you get out of that is like, cool, A, we're one step closer to the right place, but also, like, if the Lord says no to that, I'm excited to see what He's going to say yes to. Like, that's kind of what, even if it doesn't look glorious, the Lord has something better in place. I always think of Haggai 2.9, where they're building the second temple. And the people that saw the original temple, the big glorious one of Solomon, they were like crying over how humble and small <laughs> the new temple would be. And the Lord said, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. Amen. Don't look at the outside things. Look at the inside things. And the reality is, where did Jesus actually set foot into? He never set foot in Solomon's temple physically. He went into that second humble temple, right? I want to go wherever Jesus is going to be. <laughs> And so this morning, what we wanted to just tell you guys is, hey, keep praying. Like, praise the Lord for your prayers. I wish it could have been like you guys prayed and the Lord swung the doors wide open. But the Lord, Lord just closed those doors. And we're excited to see what the Lord has. And it's, hopefully it's bigger than this room. So, yeah. So with that said, we are going to be in Acts chapter 14 this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bible and turn there. We, I teach from the New King James Version. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you'll want to use that, that version if you want to follow exactly what I'm reading. We also have some copies back there, physical copies, if you want to grab one. But again, we've been working through the book of Acts verse by verse. This is what we do as Calvary Chapel. We always take books of the Bible. We work verse by verse. We believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, as Romans 10, 17 says. We also believe that the Word is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Hebrews 4.12 tells us. It, it's, it divides, right, in, the, in, the, in between those joints and marrows, and the, it dis, is a discerner of the intents of man's heart. And then also, we know from 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, the reality is, as we teach the Word, this is equipping you guys, right? This is equipping you to not just come back Sunday and get fed, but to go out and actually live out the things that the Lord would have for you. Amen? And so that's what we do. We teach verse by verse. This morning, again, we're going to be in Acts 14. We're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see contention, we're going to see confusion, and we're going to see conclusion. And the reality is we're coming to the end of Paul's first missionary journey. And it's a really, I think this is one of those chapters where when you think of the book of Acts, this is one of those things. Again, like I said, sometimes you get chapters where you're like, this is like a travel log, just cities and things. And that's good. It means it's a real book, a real history, right? And it's powerful nonetheless. But this chapter here, I think this is one of those chapters where you think of like just big stories, big events. And you're going to see that. If you're at Acts 14, say I'm there. I'm there. Awesome. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 as we begin to look at the contention in Iconium. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. And so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So, what we have in these first three verses, if you remember last week, we saw a revival that began, right, in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, they were there and they were preaching and people were coming to the Lord. Remember, the, the, many of the Jews rejected it. 
and he quoted Isaiah 49, 6, and said, we're going to go out as a light to the Gentiles that all the ends of the earth shall be saved, like Isaiah 45, 22 talks about. And the Gentiles were excited. Some of the Jews followed Paul and Barnabas. They told them, hey, continue in grace. Don't go into legalism. But the next week they came back to teach. Remember how envious all of the enemies of the Word of God were? They said, oh man, these guys have a huge crowd. They packed the place out. This makes us so mad. We're trying so hard in our flesh over here to get people to follow us. Now we're envious. We're mad. Let's raise up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And if you remember, it forced them out of town where they were, right? Well, that leads us to Iconium. And Iconium here, this is the capital city of a place called Luconia. Luconia was this, this um, region, this district, that is part of that land that he's been traveling through. And basically what they're going to be doing here, we see it. Did you see right there in verse 1? They went into the synagogue of the Jews, and they so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed. The very thing they got chased out of town for... <laughs> These guys are stubborn, right? They're like, oh, you want to chase that town? They shook off the dust against them. We're just going to go to the next place and preach the gospel. I love this tenacity of Paul and Barnabas. Someone asked me this week, who's your favorite person outside of Jesus? Because that's the easy answer. Who's your favorite person in the Bible? I said, dude, Paul. I just love the fact that, A, this guy was wicked before he came to the Lord, right? I can relate to that. <laughs> and secondly, he was ritualistic and legalistic. He used to go to church a lot. I can relate to that. But then he came to Jesus, and he says, man, nothing in this world matters to me except serving the Lord Jesus. And he didn't care. If people didn't accept it, he didn't stop preaching. Oh, man, that's, I'm just the worst. I'm just so terrible. He said, no, God is good. I'm going to go to the next town, and I'm going to do the same exact thing. And I just think that's, to us, that's almost crazy, right? Like, dude, change your method. Change your message. No, this is what we have. This is what we preach this morning is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Amen? And so if we teach any other message, we're in trouble. But see, as we go out and teach this, I love it. In verse 1, there's a revival again. A great multitude of just Jews? No, Jews and Greeks, right? Again, I can't stress this enough. There is one gospel for every man, for every woman, for every race, for every ethnicity, for every social economical point that you may you know, land on in a marketing scheme, okay? The reality is, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. And they went and preached that to everyone, and there was revival there. Romans 10, 12, Paul wrote, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. And I'm grateful for that, because I'm not Jewish. <laughs> I'm glad I got grafted into these things, amen? And I don't know about you guys, but this, the reality is this gospel went from way over on the other part of the earth all the way here. And here we are in McKinney, Texas. <laughs> And we're preaching the same gospel that Paul and Barnabas preached, and we know that life comes by hearing the gospel, by receiving it by faith, and entrusting in the work of Jesus Christ. And see, in verse 2, though, we still see opposition. It says that these people that were unbelieving, they came and they started to influence others to reject Paul and Barnabas. We've seen this many times throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. When someone comes with the Word of God, the enemy will raise up opposition, right? This is a spiritual battle that we're in. And see, the minute you accept Jesus Christ, we're in this warfare. But here's the good news. We sang it this morning. Who's the victorious one? The Lord. See, I'm in a battle, but who wins? The Lord wins. Amen? So don't let that be like, oh man, I don't want to be in the battle. I got news for you. You're in a battle <laughs> either way. Do you want to battle your flesh and sin and lose, or do you want to battle against the enemy with the victory of the Lord behind you? 
And so you need to come to the Lord and say, yes, I have sinned. I need the atonement of the cross of Jesus Christ. But then I can put on that armor that belongs to God, right? I believe it's Ephesians 6, right? We talk about the girding your, your waist with truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Shotting your feet with the gospel of grace and putting on the helmet of salvation. The sword that is the word of God, right? The shield of faith. All these things, they belong to the Lord. You literally can't fight in the battle, or at least win, I guess, <laughs> without His armor, amen? You only get His armor through Jesus Christ. But see, the battle begins here, and these guys come and they start... It says that they, they poisoned the minds of, against the brethren. And see, I think about when, when Jesus was on trial before Pilate. And if you remember, I believe it's in Mark 15, 10-11, it was the Jewish religious leaders that stirred up the crowd to reject Jesus and ask for uh, Barabbas, right? And so there's always this thing that wants to fight the message of truth, the, the gospel, Jesus Christ himself. But can I tell you what's wild about this? Jesus' gospel, the only true gospel, is one of hope, peace, joy, and life. But what's the opponent's message here? Is bitterness, envy, anger, death. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have realized this, but anyone that's opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, there's a desire to have control over you. There's a desire to rule over you. That's the enemy's desire, is to make sure that you don't submit to God, the very thing you were created for, amen? And see, the reality here is that these guys go, no, we want to keep as many as possible from accepting Paul and Barnabas. And the reality is, it's for their own power. It's for their own prestige. It's to maintain their own position. It's their pride. And that's sick, right? These guys call themselves the religious leaders, the ones, the Pharisees, the set apart for God. And these men always did these things towards Jesus. It continued on against Paul and Barnabas. But I love verse 3. They stayed there a long time. <laughs> I don't like staying places a long time when people don't like me and want to fight me. <laughs> I'm not really a fighter, by the way. You could probably tell. But <laughs> some guys dig fighting. I just never was that guy, right? I had friends that were those guys, and I was like, man, you always get me into trouble. I'm just trying to pray over people, right? Like, what are you doing, man? I'm talking like BC days. I was just like, I'm not a fighter. But the reality is here, Paul's a fighter, man. <laughs> In the best way, he's not trying to knock anyone out. We're not going to see Paul throw a punch on anyone. Now, Paul's going to absorb some punches in his ministry. <laughs> but like Jesus, with that face like flint headed into Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to be crucified, he did it for the joy that was set before him, Jesus did, right? Because salvation would come from his words, from his life. Paul says, I'm going to keep doing these things just as Jesus did, because I love others as Christ has commanded me to give them the gospel that brings eternal life. Amen? And so as he goes out and does this, it reminds me of Acts 20, 24. Acts 20, 24 is a verse where Paul is reciting all the things that he's basically gone through in his life and his ministry unto Jesus. And he says, None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, except that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which is, I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's a life verse for me. If you're wondering how I did that without looking, I memorized that verse. That's my life verse. Everything I want to do is in that verse. I want to finish my race that the Lord has given me, but I don't just want to finish it mad. I want to finish it with joy. That's key. I feel like a lot of people in church are doing works for the Lord. They're mad about it. If anyone had a reason to be mad, Paul had a reason to be mad. 
Paul explains in Corinthians, right, all the things he endured, beatings and shipwrecks and all these things, he never gets mad at the Lord. He just keeps his face on the, on, the, on the prize, right? And he keeps moving forward and says, these are the things that matter to me. It's funny, Renee and I, we were studying this week, right? We were working through Philippians together. And we're like, man, this is, this is Paul in prison. And he's like, guys, the Lord's so good to like finish the good works. Just, I'm praying for you guys. You're like, Paul, you're praying for people while you're in prison? He's like, it's, the, it's such a joy that we get to do this. And I think, man, how many times I find myself in the spot where I'm like, oh man, the poor me's, right? Man, people just are, are, are opposing me because of the things that the Lord has called me to do. Can I just tell you, the Lord is so good to sustain His church and His people as we just simply preach the gospel, amen? Because the reality is here that as He preached, there, there, were, there, were, signs, there, were, there were signs and wonders, it said in verse 3. This is exactly what the church had prayed for back in Acts 4, 29 and 30. They said, give us the boldness to speak the word and back it up, Lord, with your hand working things to prove that this is the truth. And see, today we may say, well, where are all the signs and wonders? Can I tell you, <laughs> the replicated experience of people being converted to Jesus Christ and becoming new creations, that's a miracle, amen? I don't know about you guys, but I am very different now. And I pray that 10 years from now, I'm very different than I am now but very different than what I was 14 years ago before I came to Jesus Christ. Anyone that knew me at that time and still knows me goes, yeah, that's a miracle. <laughs> you were a jerk. You're still kind of a jerk, but you're a different kind of jerk right now. Hopefully they don't say that. I don't know. <laughs> but the reality is there's clear evidence as I've gone out and said, none of these other things move me. I'm just going to commit to my race in Jesus Christ. The ministry that the Lord has for me in Jesus Christ. And I tell you, that'll take you weird places sometimes. <laughs> But you just got to continue in that fight. Amen? Amen? Look at 4 through 7. It says, But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So again... Verse 4, we see opposition. Multitudes of the cities were divided. Some said, okay, this is the true gospel. This is eternal life that these guys are preaching. It's a good thing. But then you had part of the city that said, no, these guys are wicked. They're stirring up all the problems, right? I mean, I think we run into that, right? Like, we would preach a gospel that says this. Hey, everyone in this room, if you're a sinner, raise your hand. Everyone would raise their hand, right, if they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. People that don't want to be called sinners don't like the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's offensive. It's been said that, yes, it's offensive, but some people need to be offended. Amen? <laughs> In the sense that this, you are a sinner, but here is the good news. Though the wages of, of sin is death, eternal separation from God, Jesus Christ has paid those wages. It's finished at the cross. All you have to do is believe in, the, in who He is, believe in His words, confess that He is Lord, walk it out with your life through the power of the Spirit. He gives us the power to walk it out. How awesome is that? And as we do that, Jesus promised us in John 5, 24 that we would have everlasting life. John 3, 16 tells us that we have eternal life because Jesus came and died for the sins of the world. Amen? But to some people, that's offensive. I don't know. I get it, right? Like, the, the enemy is there working. Our flesh is there working. The things of this world are working to tell you that, hey, you're good enough. You just need to love yourself more. <laughs> Can I tell you, you love yourself plenty. <laughs> I know, because I love myself plenty. There's a reason Jesus said, love your neighbor as who? Yourself. Because who do you love the most? You love yourself the most. 
It's easy to love yourself. The world says the problem is you don't love yourself enough. No, you need to love Jesus. <laughs> and why should we love Jesus? Because while we were still in sin, in His love, He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now it's our reasonable service to walk that out. But these people get together and they create this plan to stone Paul and Barnabas. They basically say, hey, the best way to do this, we should just kill the voice of the messengers. This is what they tried to do with Jesus. It didn't work, by the way. It actually resulted in glory for Jesus Christ, right? Man just fighting and fighting and thinking that he can win the victory belongs to the Lord. But Paul and, and Barnabas, I love this, because it says that when they, they, they became aware of it, they fled to Lystra and Derby. Can I tell you? Paul and Barnabas didn't have a death wish. Some people like the idea, man, I just want to be a martyr for the Lord. I don't know if you ever heard this. I hang out with some missionaries. They have this kind of attitude. Praise the Lord for that attitude, to some extent. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas didn't go, hey, man, let's just get stoned by these people today. That'll be cool, right? They had more works to do. <laughs> And I love it because I believe it's in 1 Timothy 3.11, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3.11, when Paul's looking back on all the things he endured, he says, man, in that case, the Lord gave us a way of escape. The Lord opened the door. Basically, what was happening was the door was closing where they were in Iconium, and the door was opening somewhere else, right? In Lystra and in Derby. So many people just want to go, man, no, like, like I'm, I'm insistent on staying here because this is where I've decided I must do ministry. That could lead to death, <laughs> Even spiritually, right? You don't want to go where the Lord is calling you next. Again, I don't think anyone's probably getting stoned today in the United States for preaching the gospel. But we may stay where we're at because we're comfortable and because we don't want to go into new things. In this case, they had further works to do. And again, what did they do when they got there? They preached the gospel. Bold stubbornness. <laughs> we keep almost getting stoned or killed everywhere we go. Maybe we should stop doing this, you think they would say. I think Paul realized, hey, technically... I've died to self already. I've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Whatever the Lord has for me moving forward, I belong to Him now. Amen? There's not this desire to self-preserve, and I love it because no matter the circumstances, in season and out of season, He's just ready to preach the Word, just like 2 Timothy 4.2 talks about. And so we see that contention. Look at verses 8 through 10. We start to see, uh, again, this is the section that makes us think of the book of Acts being really wild, big things. Verse 8, it says, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. <laughs> so this is the kind of section where we're like, man, book of Acts, people just getting healed of things. Just great signs and wonders happening. In this case, we have Paul going into town here, into Lystra, and it just seems like they, they get to this spot, and here's this man sitting here listening to the Word of God go forth. I think this is the important thing here to note, right? First of all, Luke, Luke says three different ways that this man is crippled, right? Did you notice this? He says, he did not have strength in his feet, therefore he was sitting. He was crippled since his mother's womb, so since he was born, and he had never walked. There was no question in anyone's mind that this guy was in a lame condition. That he could not in his own strength walk uprightly. Everyone in the city probably knew who this man was, just like in Acts 3 when we had the man at the gate beautiful, right? When Peter healed that man through the power of Jesus Christ. Think about the paralytic that Jesus healed, right? The reality is Jesus uses people that everyone goes, man, that guy's messed up. I'm just going to be clear. I don't know if that's PC to say it like that. I'm sorry. But this guy's messed up. 
And then Jesus comes in and changes this person's life so that they can leap with joy and walk out uprightly. And so you can see the spiritual connection here, right? The lesson that's being taught through this moment. But what I think is important here is that Paul looked at this man. He actually looked at this guy and observed him intently. The chances are this man's probably a beggar. You can't work if your legs don't work. So he probably just begs. And I don't know about you guys. When someone's at the corner with the sign asking for money, you kind of lock your doors and don't look at them sometimes. That's terrible. I'm a pastor and I just said that. But listen, not all the time. But there's times I'm like, oh, man, that looks dangerous, right? That looks uncomfortable to interact with this. Paul's staring at this guy intently. Remember when Peter did this in Acts 3, the man thought, ooh, he's going to give me something good because he's looking at me. <laughs> well, he's going to give him something way better than any kind of money. <laughs> Anything that's just going to sustain him in this day. He preached the gospel. And we're told here that this man had the faith to be healed. And I believe that faith came because what was the very first thing that Paul did? It said that he had been speaking. What does Paul speak when he goes into town? He speaks the gospel, right? This man was sitting there. He heard the gospel. And Paul saw, man, this guy is believing this. The Lord gave him, I believe, a word of knowledge. The gift of faith. We see that mentioned, right, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. The gifts of the Spirit. I believe in this moment, Paul says, man, this guy believes this. He believes the gospel that is being preached. And Jesus Christ is willing to heal this man right now. Can I be clear? You've got to make sure this is the Lord before you say something like, stand up, right? Imagine if Paul's like, now get on up, and the guy just like falls over. You're like, well, there goes everything he just taught, right? <laughs> everything that Paul's done, he's a sham, right? The reality is, this you have to be certain if you're going to do something like this. Can I tell you that with all of the things that we have in the book of Acts, again, there's a lot of cool signs and wonders in here, but they're still the exception to the norm. I hope you guys understand that walking with Jesus every day doesn't look like these kinds of miracles. Now, I've been walking with the Lord for 14 years. I can count on one hand. In full-time ministry, I've seen like maybe three things kind of like this happen. I've seen them, but that's pretty rare when you add the days up for how long I've been walking with the Lord, right? Paul, he's, he's here in this case. He's just preaching the gospel. The Lord lays it on his heart, and here's the reason this man is going to be healed. It's going to validate the word that Paul has been preaching and remember, he's in a place that's not Jewish, really, in, in heritage, right? He's in a place full of Gentiles that worship all kinds of false gods. They're a tangible people. The Lord says, I am going to reveal myself to all of these pagan people that are here in this city in Lystra by the healing of this man so that they can understand that the words being preached are true. Does that make sense? Sometimes people go, well, why doesn't this still happen today? I'll tell you, it does happen. It's just not every day. And it wasn't every day for Paul. But I'll tell you what does happen every day. People put their faith in Jesus Christ, and spiritually, they are healed. It's better to be healed spiritually than to be healed your legs and walk straight into hell, right? I hope that makes sense. <laughs> the Lord cares much more. He com cares completely more about your heart. Jesus came to die for your sins, not to fix your body, right? Paul prayed how many times for that thorn in the flesh, right? And the Lord said, no, in that, in that very suffering, you will glorify me in that. Because in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. It's made strong, right? And so we want to make sure that we understand that just because we put things before the Lord, Lord, why don't you answer this like you did in the book of Acts? The Lord's answered big things in your life. Bigger than you'll ever know on this side of eternity if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Because you've become a new creation now. And that's what's happening here. He's just preaching the gospel. It's validating it. Look at verse 11 through 13. It says, Now when the people saw what Paul had done... <laughs> 
This is funny. They raised their voices, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. This is the section I referred to as being confusing. There's nothing but confusion happening here. Paul comes in, Paul and Barnabas, they go, they heal this man, and this wild scene ensues here in Lystra. We have all of these, these locals, they heard of the miraculous healing, and they're, the, what they say is the gods, with the lowercase g, right? Remember, these people believe in many mythological gods. They said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. <laughs> I think this is interesting. We talk about faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? I tell you, faith does not come by seeing and seeing miracles, <laughs> Because you can see a miracle, and you can say, oh, that, I'm going to attribute that to the god Zeus. I'm going to contribute that and attribute that to some other god, Hermes, right? Without the truth of the word of God, you will not know who God is that gave the miracle. Does that make sense? And see, these people have so many gods. They're like, well, the gods, plural, are here with us. And this is some really cool thing that's happening here. And I... It's crazy because they didn't know the truth, they didn't understand the truth in their debased minds, and they basically began to worship these guys. It says that they thought that Paul was Hermes. I guess Hermes was like the messenger of the mythological gods, and since Paul did all the talking, like there's Hermes and Barnabas all quiet and authoritative in the background. Like that's big powerful Zeus right there. And again, they're desiring to worship something. Did you notice that? Everyone desires to worship something. You're going to make a God an idol of something. Our hearts, before filled with the Spirit of God, is an idol factory. Our children become idols to us sometimes, right? The car in your garage can become your idol. Your job and career can become an idol. We think it's so like weird that they would worship things of wood and metal, right? We worship things of wood and metal. Our houses, our cars, right? Our money. We're all into gods just like they were. We just don't name them like that. <laughs> But the reality is, when you trust in Jesus Christ, you see that all these other gods are nothing. And see, what they're doing, though, they come out and they say, this is Zeus and Hermes. Even the priest of Zeus comes out. <laughs> that's sad. The very guy that's supposed to be the one that knows Zeus best is like, oh, this is Zeus, man. Like, dude, you desire to worship and know Zeus and you can't? Can't even pick him out of a lineup? <laughs> can I tell you, you can know the one true God personally today. Jesus said in John 17, 3, he said, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, we can know the one true God through Jesus Christ. But at this moment, you might say, well, how did they deduce that this is Zeus and Hermes? <laughs> There's many, many gods. Why did they pick these two? John Walvert, a commentator on the Bible, supposedly there's this, there's this Greek legend that at one time in Lystra, before this event, obviously, Zeus and Hermes showed up in human flesh. <laughs> And the only people that welcomed them in were an elderly couple. The elderly couple were blessed with all kinds of fruitfulness and goodness, and everyone else in town got wiped out and destroyed by Zeus and Hermes. <laughs> so you can tell these guys are like, dude, we better go get oxen and garland. We don't want to die today, right? So they're like, let's just go. Let's go get these things. Let's go sacrifice to them. And so look at 14 through 18. It says, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, 
who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely refrain, I'm sorry, restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Paul and Barnabas are like, wait, I don't know. Remember, it said they came and said this in the Laconian language originally. I think Paul and Barnabas are there and they're like, man, these people are really excited about this miracle. Praise the Lord, right? This is really cool. Then the priest of Zeus shows up with some garlands and some oxen. And they're like, we're going to sacrifice. And they're like, this is weird, right? <laughs> this is odd. And then they're like, word gets them. And really they perceived what was going on in verse 14. And they realized, wait a minute, these guys <laughs> think that we're gods. This is, to me, can I just give you one practical application here? I think we all have a tendency to see men of God used greatly in ministry, and we make them gods in our minds. <laughs> we go, man, the power is in you. The power is in your ministry. It's in your multitude. It's in your, your words and your speaking. God forbid, right? There's a reality where we think we don't do these kinds of things. I have been guilty of doing these kinds of things. That ministry is successful because that guy is awesome, right? Incorrect. That ministry is great because the Lord sustains His church, amen? And at this point, they all go out here, they're, they're, they're thinking that they're gods, and so they tear their clothes. We know that was a Jewish sign of basically being completely averse to any kind of idea of blasphemy. Like they're saying, this is blasphemy, I'm tearing my clothes because I'm so upset, right? They go like Incredible Hulk on this thing, right? But no, the reality is so they want to make it clear. They're saying we are distance, distancing ourselves from the glory that belongs to the one true God. They're saying, there is something wrong here. We are running into the midst and telling them, we are just like you guys. We didn't do this miracle. Jesus Christ, who is resurrected and alive and well, has done this miracle. Amen? God forbid we start to think that we're the ones running the church. <laughs> That's a recipe for disaster. We need to be seeking the Lord, seeking His Spirit in His Word, in fellowship, and looking for the Lord to guide us. And as we do those things, I believe the Lord blesses His church in many ways. But at this point, they say, look, we're just like you guys. What you need to do, he says, you need to turn from useless things to the living God. The King James calls useless things, the word they use is vanities. Remember the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Everything is vanities, everything in this world. And see, at this point, that word vanities, if you look up the definition, it's basically anything that is devoid of force, truth, success, or result. I tell you, there's all kinds of things in the world we idolize and worshiped that we thought would bring us hope and joy and peace, value. And then they would just dissolve, right? You'd get those things. I got that payday, man. This is going to fix all my problems. New bill comes, right? <laughs> oh, man, I'm doing so great. Check engine light comes on, right? Oh, I'm doing so good. You lose your job. Recession hits. Your house is upside down. All the things that you put your trust in, they just turn over on you. I mean, why are the richest men in the world trying to race to space right now? It means there's nothing on earth that has fulfilled them. They have everything they could possibly have. You name it, they could get it. They said, we better go look in space. <laughs> They're getting closer, right? <laughs> There's nothing on this earth. And see, the people here, they be they're being told, you need to turn from these useless things. I love it. Paul didn't say, hey, you just need to add Jesus to your useless things. You need to remember, I mean, Exodus 34, 14, right? The Lord that we serve is a jealous God. His name's jealous, it says in Exodus 34, 14, in case we forget. <laughs> in, in a good way. We think of jealousy in a bad way because we're human. 
This jealousy of the Lord is a desire to have us, a desire for reconciliation that we would walk with Him and worship Him in spirit and truth. Amen? Amen. Joshua 24, 14, the big command was to put away the gods that you worship, that your fathers worshipped on the other side of the, of, the, of the river over in Egypt. Leave those things and serve the one true God. So many times as believers, we go, okay, I have no other gods before my God in the sense of order. God is number one. But then number two is this thing, number three is this thing, number four is this thing. No. The idea is if God was looking, there's nothing He can see before Him. There's nothing in sight that has become an idol in your heart. Can I tell you that today, I have to check that every day, right? Even with the Spirit of God indwelling in me, I have to check my heart in everything that I do. I pray that you guys are doing the same, and I'll tell you, there's a blessing in that. Because the things of this world, they just become like nothing. <laughs> when you hold on to the things of this world, man, it's exhausting. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And there's no rest in any of the things the world has told you there's rest in. Amen? <laughs> and if you don't know that yet, you'll find it out if you continue down that road. Why not trust in Jesus Christ today? And that's what Paul's telling these men. But I love it because he doesn't appeal to Old Testament Scripture like we saw Paul do, did last week, right? Remember all the verse references to all the different places? Isaiah and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all these places. He tells them, hey, the God that we belong to, He just made everything. <laughs> See, these guys worship gods like Poseidon, right? The god of like the seas. Or I think it's Gaia, the goddess of earth. He's like, forget those little fake gods that own, only own these things. Worship the one true God that made everything. And seeing that, he's not validating that their beliefs are true. What he's saying is, you're worshiping these lowly things. Why don't you walk away from that and embrace the one true God that is real and true and did everything. And even when you didn't know he was doing it, he was giving you goodness. Common grace is what we call this, right? The idea that even before we came to the Lord, why did I have breath in my body? I was sinning against him every day. But yet he kept a roof over my head. <laughs> yet he gave me new life. He gave me every day and he would provide even when I didn't know it. That's because the Lord is good. Amen? Amen? And he says, look, at, you're worried about getting killed by your fake gods right now. <laughs> I'm telling you about a God that's already loved you. I'm telling you about a God that already has poured out goodness to give you crops. He says, just look around. <laughs> there is a God and he loves you. And he's the one that's healed this man, proven by his testimony. Amen? It reminds me of Romans 1.20. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And what Paul was writing at that point was saying, if you look around, you will understand there's trees, there's mountains, well not here, there's not mountains. There's trees, there's plains, there's flat fields, right? That's cool. Uh, but the reality is there's so much stuff that you just go, man. Like, someone told me a long time ago, like, you think about a squirrel grabbing a nut off a tree and dropping it in a field and it turns into a tree that produces more nuts and more, like, where do these things come from? And again, evolution doesn't explain these things. The chances of something just imploding and just creating all this, it doesn't make sense. He says, look around at all this. You'll understand that you have been provided for by a very good God. And I'm here to tell you, He's willing to save you from your lame condition. <laughs> and see, that's the point here, is that, man, as this man stands up, they now have a testimony. And man, the, the words of Paul are true. May we live as a testimony that the words of God are true. 
Look at verse 19 and 20. It says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas the Derby. Man, again, boldness, right? This guy is just committed to the things of Jesus. <laughs> but can I tell you what I pick up on immediately here? First of all, the bitterness of the Jews. These guys, the opponents of the message of Jesus Christ, they came some hundred miles out of their way. They aren't driving Teslas, right? This is a big journey back in the day. They're putting on their sandals, right? They're taking the two feet, ten toes, and they're walking all the way a hundred miles to go just persecute guys that are preaching life and joy and peace and hope. This is pride and ego, envy, conviction. All of these things are making these men go out of their way. And I love it. The, these men, right? What are they bringing? They're bringing persecution. Well, Paul and Barnabas are bringing miracles. Like, why is this even a thing? It's a spiritual battle, amen? It should just be so clear, man. If you do good, you'll be left alone. But that's not the case because man is not good. <laughs> the heart is desperately wicked, right? It's deceitful above all things. Anyone that tells you just trust your heart, please don't listen to that advice. <laughs> just listen to your heart. Yeah, that's a good way to destroy yourself, by the way. <laughs> but you seek the Word of God, amen? <laughs> and so in this case, you have them coming into town and I don't know, it's almost like there's a section of Scripture you're missing there. Because you're like, wait, they, they were trying to sacrifice to them in verse 18. and 19, they're picking up stones to kill them. Like, what possibly happened here? See, this should remind us of the fickle hearts of men. See, at one moment, they're idolizing Paul and Barnabas. But then some other people show up and tell them, oh, these guys are just human, man. They're nothing good. Let me, let me just rat them out about all the bad things we think about them. And now they go from idolizing to demonizing them how quickly the opinions of men change. The fear of man brings a snare, but those who trust in the Lord shall be safe. Amen? I believe that's Proverbs 29, 25. But the reality is, man, we want to trust in the Lord. We want to walk in His ways. Don't fear man, because fear, fearing man, getting someone's opinion today, that's going to be nothing tomorrow. <laughs> man changes their mind like every minute, right? I get a bad night's sleep, I change my mind about everything, it turns out, right? <laughs> I don't like my job anymore. I don't like this thing, right? And then I get a good night's sleep, I'm like, this is the best, right? We're fickle. And I think we're all laughing because we know that, right? <laughs> but see, the reality in this case is that these men were once worshiping them like gods, but then they decided to stone them. It says to the point where they dragged him out thinking he was dead. I believe the term these days would be clinically dead, right? Like they... These people know how to stone someone. Can I be clear? They didn't fail at stoning people. That wasn't a thing. You stoned them until they died. <laughs> Paul has been stoned gnarly here. I believe that this might even be that point where, remember in 2 Corinthians 12? I think it was verse, verse 2, where he recited a vision of not knowing if he was in the body, out of the body, and caught up into paradise. I don't know. This could be that moment. I'm not saying for sure, but it could be. He was basically like, dude, I'm, I'm dead right now. <laughs> like, this is all the way dead. But then... We know it's definitely the thing that he wrote about in 2 Corinthians 11.25, that he was stoned for the things of the Lord. He talks about, again, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the whippings, the, the, the floggings, the, all the different things that he endured. He says, I would do them all again <laughs> because i got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's what's nuts about this, and that's what he does. Look at the disciples come around, they gather around him, they're probably lamenting. i got to think they're praying for him, right? Because he looks dead, he's pretty much dead. <laughs> They're praying for him. 
Homeboy pops right up. Like, this is crazy. That's insane, man. I hope you guys understand how crazy this is. This isn't like 20 days later. It's the same day. He sets up. I just imagine him going, boop, like right angle. Like, just sits right up. He's like, all right, we good? All right, here we go. Back into the city. You're like, why would you go back into that city, Paul? <laughs> Can I tell you why he went back into the city? He lived out another testimony that the one true God that he preached is the God who saves and rescues and sustains. He could have just left and said, let those people die in their sins. <laughs> Many of us would maybe be tempted to say such things. Paul's the same guy that says, man, I would be willing to go to hell if everyone else go to heaven. That's an insane statement, by the way. <laughs> I, I've never found myself saying that, right? That's the heart of the Lord. The heart of Jesus Christ say, I will die for people that will still continue to reject me. But here's, here's Paul. He sits up, he goes into town. He tells them, I believe he's a testimony at that point. And remember, Jesus did the same thing. Jesus resurrected. He didn't just only see his buddies. He was seen by over 500 people, 1 Corinthians says, right? Because it was a testimony of their unbelief of his words, amen? Now you have to make a decision. You thought I was a liar when you hung me upon a cross. <laughs> now I'm alive and well. Do you still think I'm lying? <laughs> Paul walks in town. So what do we think now? I don't know if he's bloodied. I don't know if he's scarred. I don't know what this looks like. But he walks into town, and it's clear that he's alive. And I think at that point, it's just like, man, that's a testimony. But I think Paul's still wise enough to say, all right, well, next place. Let's go to the next town. So look at verse 21. This is where we start to see the conclusion. We're almost done here. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, speaking of Derby, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see they go to the next city, they left Lystra, go to Derby, and they did what they always did. <laughs> Again, Paul, are you serious, man? Like, are you trying to get killed at this point? <laughs> but he knew the Lord still had work for him, and the Lord raised him up again. He's alive. If I got breath in my body, it's the Lord's to use. Amen? And he says, I'm just going to go to the next place. So he goes to the next place, about 20 miles southeast of Lystra. And this is actually the final city of like his first missionary journey in the sense of where he's traveling to. They're going to make their way back through cities. But this is the furthest point of this journey. And basically, while they're there, they're just preaching the gospel. They made many disciples, it said there, right, in verse 21. Many disciples, many people heard the word, they responded to the word, and their lives were changed by the word. And so it's interesting, I have to note this, it would have made more sense to go back to Antioch, which is where they were eventually going back to, right, in Syria. If they would have just left this city here, if they would have just gone from Derby and gone to, to Antioch, it would have made it been a much shorter trip. Can I tell you, Paul in convenience did not say, well, cool, we did our job, let's just go home now. He went back through the cities that he already went to, was already chased out of, was already stoned in. And it says, why did he do that? Again, in verse 22, so he could strengthen the souls of the disciples. And he exhorted them to continue in the faith. He says, guys, look at, let me be an example. Right? He says, look at, again, probably beaten up pretty bad at this point. He says, and I'm coming to you telling you, Yes, this is, there's a reality that we're in a battle, a spiritual battle, right? Spiritual warfare. He says, but I'm exhorting you, man, keep going in the Lord. Don't let these things make you quit. Paul says, I'm going to keep going through these things. I'm going to keep doing these things until the day the Lord calls me home. I think about when Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, he said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures till the end 
will be saved. In 1 Peter 4, 12-13, Peter says basically, don't think it's strange that you go through these kinds of things when you belong to Jesus. Just keep going until the day of the Lord. Amen? And see, I think it's interesting. When Jesus said, look, they're gonna, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. I hope we're not hated for our name's sake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just because I'm a jerk to people, people are like, ah, and I'm like, that's because I belong to Jesus, right? No. We should be a new creation. We should be loving everyone as ourselves, right? But the reality is, people are not going to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ every time. It's a narrow road. But that doesn't stop us from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so in 23, I think it's interesting, it just says that they, they were setting up appointing elders in every church. And they did this with prayer and fasting. You see, at the end of verse 22, he said, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> if you have the kind of Bible you can erase a scripture out of, that's the one you want to erase, right? I don't want to enter the kingdom through tribulation. I want to enter the kingdom with prosperity. Right? Prosperity gospel sounds better than this gospel. Well, it's because it's not a true gospel, right? This is the true gospel. And the reality is, Jesus said, in this world you will have, but be a good cheer, because I've overcome the world. We know who wins. John 16, 33, Jesus said it. But we have to trust in Him. And see, the temptation for people, especially all these new believers, these are new churches in these regions, right? They're thinking, man, I don't know, it's kind of hard. I thought I was just going to like hang out in like Kumbaya all day or something, right? There's people trying to kill us for this. And so Paul says, man, I'm going to establish elders in these places that can continue to equip you, give you the Word of God, lead you and guide you. It's important to have good leadership in a church that teaches you the Word of God and guides you through these seasons of life, right? Paul couldn't be everywhere. So he appointed elders. I think that's kind of funny because you have all these new churches. Like, who did he possibly appoint? You got a bunch of people that came to the Lord like three weeks ago. You're like, that guy's an elder because he's, he's been in the Lord for three weeks. That guy's only been here for two weeks, right? You're like, what's an elder at this point? Some people think that they probably grabbed people that knew the scriptures from the synagogue, whether they're Gentile or Jews, if they went to synagogue, like they probably first had the Word of God in their hearts and minds. And yes, they believed in the Lord, and then there was qualifications, right? Timothy, I believe it's 1 Timothy 3, 1-6, gives us all the qualifications of what an elder, overseer, or bishop, right, should look like. One of the things it says, not a novice. All these guys kind of seem like novices, right? There must have been the ones that understood the Word of God the most, would probably be put in that place. But can I tell you, the disciples didn't have to make these decisions. The apostles, like Paul and Barnabas, it says that they prayed and fasted. I love that. <laughs> you ever walk into a situation, you're like, this is what I have to work with? <laughs> this is the room you're giving me today, Lord? <laughs> like, we need the bigger room we, we usually meet in, right? I look at things sometimes go, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. But then the Spirit just leads us, guides us, and the Lord's in control, amen? You might be in a spot in your life right now we're like, man, I just don't know if this is enough to get by. I don't know if this is enough to do the things I need to do that I've been called to do. Trust in the Lord. Don't put your eyes on the circumstances. Put your eyes on the Lord. And man, He's so faithful and so good to provide. Amen? Amen. Look at the last part. We're almost done. This is 24 to the end. It says, And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atelia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. 
And so basically that's kind of where you get one of those travel logs of sorts, right? Like this is a real story, real history, real place. If I was a better pastor, I would have had a map for you on there, okay? I'm not a geography guy, I'm sorry. Go look it up, it's everywhere on Google. So it's, it's great though, they're real places and there's a real map and you can follow it. But the reality is they go through all those places and what are they doing? They show up in Perga, they preach the word. Anywhere they go, they're just preaching the word of the Lord all the way until they get back home, right? In verse 27, it said that when they got there, it said, I'm sorry, verse 26, it says, they had commend, been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. I think that's a beautiful verse. This is the conclusion of Paul's first missionary journey, and that sentence says, the Lord actually in His grace that He had called them to do, they went out, I believe it was in Acts 13.3 when they were called, and they went out and did these things. They didn't know where they were going. The Spirit just led them, right? Remember at one point a, a Gentile governor is calling them into town because he heard what they did on the other side of Cyprus and then they're going to this place. John Mark is taking off on them. They're getting stoned. They're getting beaten. <laughs> all these things are happening. They didn't know all these things would come up. But at the end of it all, they completed the work. And it was all because of what? Because they were commended by the grace of God. It wasn't Paul's strength. It wasn't Paul's determination. It was the grace of God. Amen? <laughs> but again, it takes that kind of grit to walk it out and say, man, I'm going to continue. I believe that the Lord will see these things through. But I think it's funny because it says they completed the work. Can I tell you, there's two more missionary journeys. <laughs> there's many more works that Paul will do in his life. Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship, created for good works that we may walk in them, right? That idea of workmanship, poema, is the word. It's this idea that our life, as we walk out the things of the Lord, it creates this beautiful poem that glorifies God. And so at that moment, they feel like they're done with what they needed to do. Can I tell you, there's so much more to do still. <laughs> That's a blessing, though. You may, I don't know, let me just end with this thought. <laughs> You might find yourself in a spot where you say, this is where I am going to finish my race. This is the last thing I'm going to be doing for the Lord. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Can I tell you, I said these things when I lived in California. <laughs> I said, this is it. I found my spot, man. I'm going to be assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel Pomona Valley the rest of my life. I'm best friends with everyone on staff. I have beautiful, wonderful people that I'm serving along with and serving. I'm never going anywhere. I'm good. But then that stirring comes. <laughs> and it's like season, season two, three, four, whatever season this is in my life, right? In the Lord. That stirring comes. Man, go out and step into those things as the Lord leads you. Amen? But even in that, I'll tell you, I joke with Jen, my wife, all the time. I'm like, I wonder where the next place is we're going to plant a church. Like, totally joking, because this is, like, nuts that this is even real, right? And I'm like, it's just funny. I want to keep more of an open hand and open mind now, because just a few years ago, I thought, dude, I know the rest of my life. I'm good. I'm, this is where I'm going to stay. But I was comfortable. So comfortable. <laughs> and see, the Lord just started to stir. And man, talk about just uncomfortable stepping into a place I love this, this is God's country man I love this place it's awesome especially coming from California in 2020 okay but planning a church in your home during this whole like pandemic thing alright people thought we were insane we are insane a good insane okay we're, we're like Paul insane I think we go to town we're like that's cool let's go do this the Lord's so faithful amen you guys are a testimony this morning. I mean, we were in our living room four months ago, and like if three people showed up, we're like, dude, this is a busy, busy morning, right? My sons are like, the customers are here. I'm like, they're not customers, dude. Stop it. It's the worst, worst word ever. But no, like, this is, it's just funny. Like, they get it. They knew what we were doing. They're like, is this really going to be a thing? 
And it's so funny, it develops and it comes together and you're like, who did this? The Lord did this. We're just here to preach His Word. Simply preach the Word wherever you go. The Lord will take care of it. And I just love it. At the end of the day, he said, he reported all that God had done. He didn't report, man, I got beat up so bad. You guys need to understand how bad I had it, right? <laughs> oh, man, I had such a tough time out in my journey. Me and Brian, John Mark quit on us. And they show up. Like, man, the Lord is so good. He opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Can I tell you what this means, just real quick as we close here? <laughs> this means that Gentiles are not saved by the law. Gentiles are not saved by works. Jews and Gentiles are saved by the same thing. It's the door of faith. Amen? Amen? We are saved by grace through faith. If grace is the water, faith is the hose to receive the water, you must put your trust in the grace of God that gave us Jesus Christ as the atonement for our sins. Amen? You first have to identify, hey, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. I fall short. I deserve death, but in God's goodness, put on flesh, He came and died in my place. Amen. When we believe that, it's such a blessing because now we can tell everyone. It says that Paul hung out there for a long time. It's believed that this is where Paul wrote Galatians at this point, before Acts 15. And he probably was thinking about this fact that, man, the Lord has opened the door to the Gentiles by faith. It's not by the law. And as Paul wrote in Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. What or whom are we trusting in this morning? If it's anything other than Jesus is going to let us down. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love. And Lord, right now, for everyone that's already put their trust in you and that believes in you, Lord, I pray that you would just guide them, lead them into this next season where they would trust that you are faithful to complete the good work that you've begun in us, Lord. For your glory and not for ours. And Lord, I pray right now for anyone in this room, if they don't believe in you already, I pray that right now they would recognize their need for a Savior. That they would recognize their need to begin a new life with you. That comes by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. So right now, right where you sit, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or raise a hand or anything like this. It's between you and the Lord. And so you can begin this relationship, begin this walk with Jesus Christ by saying this prayer. Say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, if anyone said that prayer with me, we'd love to give you a Bible, give you some apps to help you grow. Um, why don't we stand? Let's just worship the Lord one more song before we're out of here.